This is Come and See by Father Ron Baird for February 6th, 2011. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. The message is by Mother Nancy Stanton. Remember that little ditty is, we were kids, if the salt has lost its savor, it ain't got much, much in its favor. Well, that's what Jesus is telling us today. Salt has gotten a particularly bad rap in recent years, even though we require some salt for survival, most of us overdo it. And excessive amounts have been linked to all kinds of major illnesses from high blood pressure to strokes to cancer to you name it. If we're trying to eat healthy, we quickly learn that we need to limit the amount of daily salt intake we have to one teaspoon. And that includes what's in the food originally, as well as what we put on it. I don't know about you, but I have a terrible time with that. How do you guess how much salt is already in something that you're going to eat, like green beans? And green beans definitely need some salt, I think. So I have a hard time deciding or deciphering how much salt that we're supposed to have. We also discovered that salt is found in huge supplies in cheese, um, soy sauce, in canned goods. Um, My daughter, let's see, my grandson's 26 years old. And 26 years ago, she found out that she had preeclampsia. And one of the things that they did was cut out every single piece of salt that she could possibly have. And she was living with us. You ever tried to cook with no salt? It is amazing, just amazing. We pulled our hair out as we tried to find the right foods for her. And the scary part of it was is that if she didn't have what was right, she was at a point where it could have literally killed her or killed the baby. And that was really scary. So salt can have a, a big, big influence on our lives. It's very inexpensive in our culture today. Um, in addition to the small amounts that we use for the table, you know, people buy it in 40-pound bags for their hot water heater, and we've been buying it by the droves for our front steps this week. I don't know about you guys, but it seems like every time we turn around, it's all ice again, and it needs to be salted all over again. Um, Fortunately, it's not really expensive, or it would be very hard to put it down, but how many trucks do we see, dump trucks, that are full of salt that are melting the ice on our roads and our bridges, and that becomes quite expensive and quite hard to do. Today we see salt in abundance everywhere, and this is a huge, huge difference from centuries ago. Because in biblical times, salt was rare. It was very hard to obtain. And it was considered one of the most precious commodities. So we can begin to understand that Jesus was not talking to our salt consumption today, but he was talking to the salt consumption of over 2,000 years ago. 
and why he used this image in the gospel when he said, you are the salt of the earth. It meant you were very precious. In order to better understand what Jesus was talking about in today's gospel passage, when he tells the disciples that they're the salt of the earth, we have to understand the importance of salt in the Jewish and Roman society. The English word salary comes from the Latin root sole or salt. And I think it's safe to say that it's important in most of our lives to receive a salary, a living wage, so that we can have a place to live and food to eat and eat in our homes. In Roman times, soldiers were paid in salt, or it was understood that they would use their salaries to purchase salt. And this is where the expression comes down, he's not worth his salt. You've heard that expression. Um, Finally, the Romans had a saying in Latin, which means that there's nothing more useful than sun and salt. And um, so from all of this, we can see that salt was important for measuring values in those days. Salt also has some very unique qualities. First of all, salt was associated with purity because it comes from the purest of things, sun and water. And secondly, it's used as a food preservation, and it's still used today as that. Um, In some Hispanic cultures, they use it to preserve fish. And it's this encasement of salt which preserves the fish and permits it to be stored without refrigeration. There are some places that don't have the ease of refrigeration that we have. And of course, and salt enhances the flavor of food, as we've already said. But as we talked about it, it is certainly uh, for this reason alone that many people risk heart complications and so forth because it does enhance the taste of food. What Jesus was telling us by using the analogy of salt is first that a Christian should be pure. And that's what he means is that we should be free as possible from sin. Second, that a Christian must be the preservative of what is good in society. That is, they must be the ones who maintain the moral standards. In the Episcopal Church from the time that I can remember, the E-word, evangelism, was one that was not said out loud. It was a scary word. Um, Somewhat so in the Anglican church, but not, not as much. But the evangelism that we were always told as children that we were to be was to show people how to live a moral life And if they saw us living that moral life, that they would want to follow in our footsteps. And to a huge, huge um, amount, that is very true, that when people see Christians, I have heard people say, she has the most beautiful look in her eyes. It's a look of joy and a look of contentment. 
or he has peace when I look at him. And I want some of that peace. And I think that, that people do look at Christians and say, I don't know what you've got, but I want some of it. How do I get it? Um, it seems as if even everything around us is, is just crumbling. And everyone is succumbing to temptations. Um, as Christians, if we keep our heads above it all, it helps to keep things together. It helps to keep things going in the right direction. And right now, if we look at the news, it's pretty scary, some of the things that are happening. And so as Christians, I think we need to be very careful that we walk in the right direction. I mentioned a couple of times that we have a priest that's from this area. He's from um, Bishop Rogers Parish in in Akron. Um, His name is Drew, Father Drew. And he's in Egypt serving the bishop in Egypt. And I just found out this morning, we've been very worried about him and how he's doing. I think this is one of the most marvelous things I've heard in a very long time. But the Muslims, there is a group of Muslims that are, they're guarding the church and making sure that no one is coming in to hurt anyone. They ring the bells every day, they have mass every day, and the Muslims are guarding them. If we could just work like that, back and forth between all people, how wonderful it would be. And so far, Father Drew is very safe and being well cared for. Unfortunately, I think many times that we're viewed not to lend any flavor to life, that um, we're flat, that our salt has lost its savor. Because if people have to do the things that they perceive that Christians have to do, they're not going to have any fun and life isn't going to be worthwhile. When um, Oliver Wendell Holmes said, One time, if he had not viewed um, ministry as he viewed it, and if the ministers that he knew hadn't acted so much like undertakers, that um, he would have gone into the ministry. Well, I hope we don't act like undertakers. If we do, tell us. I don't want to act like that. I don't want to be a naysayer. So often I fear, though, that many of us have lost that radiance and that Christian joy. And um, that's something that's really important to go out and show to the world, that we are joyful as Christians, that we're happy to be Christians, and we're happy to do the things that the Lord has told us to do and how he's told us to do them. Um, There's a story I'd like to to share with you, and it's a story about a woman by the name of Emily Lyons. You may have read this in the newspaper a couple years ago, well, several years ago. She was um, severely, she was a nurse, and she was severely wounded in January of 1998 when a bomb that was loaded with nails 
exploded outside of the abortion clinic in Birmingham, Alabama, where she was working as a nurse. And although the bomb killed a guard who happened to be inspecting the mysterious package that arrived there, Emily survived. And the nails did huge amounts of damage to her. Just huge amounts of damage and recovery has been very slow. She is still recovering from the wounds that she got. Her left leg was broken. Um, Both of her knees were full of metal. She lost the arteries in her legs. Um, She lost one eye and the other eye was damaged. It tore her eyelids off. Her tear ducts had to be reconstructed. It broke her teeth and she had a hole in her abdomen and her intestines came out. Um, They had to remove several inches of the small intestine and the large intestine. And there were nails in her chest, her eardrum ruptured. She has so far undergone 13 surgeries to my knowledge and there are more that are planned. Um, And you look at that and you ask how in the world Um, to have something happen like that. She has to have her husband help her with just the most basic of tasks. And like she said, she'll never be back to where she was. She can do some things. She can unload the dishwasher. She can wash clothes. But she can't do a lot of the things that she used to do. Her husband, Jeff, learned how to put her makeup on. How many of you guys would like that job? I I would think that would be a pretty tough one to do. She lost her eyebrows, and he's, I understand, has become an expert at painting in eyebrows. Um, She can't lift anything, and she can't open anything. She has difficulty hearing, and it's very difficult for her to write. Now, I'm telling you not all of this not to gross you out, but so that you can better understand what she's going through in this enormous healing process that's taking so long. Eric Rudolph, the alleged bomber, is also believed to be responsible for the bombing of the 1996 Olympic Park in Atlanta. And he's been eluding the FBI ever since. When asked about how angry she was with him, she says, and I quote, It takes too much energy to be angry at this point because I need all the energy to do other stuff. And when they asked her husband, Jeff, he said, you can't be angry and move ahead as fast as you want to at the same time. And I choose to spend my time trying to take care of Emily instead of hating someone. There's an old Indian saying, you you become what you hate. And if I'm filled with the same kind of hate that this person was, then how am I really any different than he was? Jeff and Emily go on to discuss how the bombing has changed them for the better, how she's become a better person than she used to be, and how their love for each other has deepened because of this ordeal. I think that Emily's story exemplifies what we're talking about when we're saying to show to the world the best that a Christian can show. 
first of all, she and her husband have refused to succumb to temptations and sins of anger or bitterness or hatred. Secondly, they are seeking to preserve what is good in their lives and to love which has grown between them. And last, they've maintained a joy of living which one man's act of hatred can never take away from them. All of these things are possible only through faith. Faith which is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like Jeff and Emily, we're called by Jesus to be as free from sin as possible. To be the preservation of what's good in society. And to be the living examples of the joy of the resurrection in our lives. As we rapidly approach the season of Lent, it's the time when we need to examine our lives. We need to take that time and see if we can truly be called the salt of the earth. Or are we fit only to be thrown out and trodden underfoot? If we are the salt of the earth, then all of the problems and the misfortunes of life will not take away our inner joy. And having lived a life of joy, we will then one day reach our own eternal joy, a joy that nothing and no one will ever be able to take from us. In Matthew 5.16, it says, Your light must shine before others. Who has not heard or even sung the little ditty? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Remember that? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. It is a wonderfully theological song. Children learn it and sing it with delight. It's lots of fun to blow it out. As simple as the words may be and as airy as the melody, the message is just absolutely perfect. In fact, it can be fully understood only really by adults, for it's the proclamation of one's willingness to give witness to one's faith. With the season of Lent almost here, it's this time in the liturgical year when we spend time reflecting our lives and saying, do we need to change? Are there some things that we need to look at? Are there some things that we need to do differently? The readings for today really lay out a plan of action. They ask us to take a stand for God by taking a stand to support others. We didn't read the passage from Isaiah, but Isaiah calls us to share our bread, a work of mercy, that is perhaps more beneficial than fasting. And I've many times told people, rather than fasting and rather than giving up, let's do some taking on. Let's take on some things that we're not used to taking on. Maybe some reading that we're not used to doing. Maybe some things that we're used to doing for others that we're not used to doing. Whatever it is that you find in your life through your prayer with God It's like when we talked about our um, New Year's resolutions. 
We need to pray about this. We need to ask God, what do you want us to do? And not just decide on our own how we're going to do it. But where does God want us to go? Where is God seeing us in weakness that we need to have strength and that he will be there to strengthen us? Is it in corporal acts of mercy? Is it in feeding the hungry? Is it in giving a drink to the thirsty or clothing the naked or sheltering the homeless or visiting the imprisoned or tending the sick or burying the dead? According to Isaiah, if we do these things, our light will break forth like the dawn. I've had one of the most frustrating weeks this week. I have three men that I'm working with. All of them are past vets. All of them have had problems in their lives, as many of the vets that were in Vietnam came back with. Trying to get a hold of the Veterans Administration is an impossibility. They don't answer their phone. That's one way to keep from doing things for others is just not answering your phone. But I watch these commercials and I watch these news programs that are telling me all the time that we're going to do more for vets. Well, if you don't answer your phone, you're not going to do much more. And it's really, really frustrating. This is, this is something that money is put away for. And we really should be using the money that comes in from the church for other things. But these people and their families are going hungry. And as Christians, we can't let them go hungry. So you get very, very upset about how you're going to do the things that you need to do. We may think that we have all that we can do to care for ourselves. I hear people say, I can hardly take care of myself. How am I going to take care of somebody else? And that frustrates me. It frustrates me because we need to remember that when Isaiah was speaking and saying all of these things that we need to do, feeding the hungry, corporal works of mercy, and on and on and on. They had just come back from exile. They were in the process of reconstructing their social and political world from nothing to something. They had a temple to rebuild. They had religious structures to put in place. They needed housing for themselves. It was to such a community that Isaiah delivered this challenge of helping others. In fact, he insisted that their care of others was the condition of their own restoration. And if we look at what's going on in the world today, and we look at what Isaiah is saying, if we care for others, it is going to be the condition of our restoration. The gospel reading for today doesn't list the works of mercy, but it does tell the people of Matthew's community, and it tells us as well that with the power of God, we can transform the world. When I'm saying we, 
the world can be transformed with just the people in this room. Doesn't need to be hundreds of thousands of people. One person can make a difference. One person. Like salt, our care of others will bring out the best of the world that has, in many places, turned sour. Like the radiance of a lamp, we can enlighten the world that's floundering in darkness. We can be a city set on a mountain for all to see. We can be a refuge. We can be a safe haven in a world threatened by hatred and terror. St. Paul's words should also encourage us today as we face the challenge. He approached his ministry, as he said, in weakness and fear and much trembling. But he knew that it was God's power at work that would get him through and not his own. Ours may be only a little light, but if each of us lets our light shine, Think of the huge difference we can make. A good mantra for Lent this year would be the song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. And if you sing the tune over in your head, it gets real catchy, and you can't get it out. And that's okay. And then following the mantra, we need to then go and do the action. You have been listening to Come and See by Father Ron Baird. Come and See is a production of St. Andrew's Church in Lewis Center, Ohio. St. Andrew's is also available online at www.standrewspolaris.org. Please join us again when we invite you to Come and See.